Development of Football World Podcast. In this episode, I speak to Connor Doyle. He tells us all about living and working in Dubai. Connor, thank you very much for coming on. It's a real pleasure to see you again after seeing you a few weeks ago in Dubai. How are you doing? Very well, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, just just back from a few sessions, so a little bit hot, but uh, glad to be on and uh, discuss all things coaching. That video came out really well, and mostly due to how great your answers were. Those questions, and I'm stood there like a knob asking you really silly things, and you gave some great insight. And I think it's going to be very very helpful for other people. So now with this podcast episode, I like to expand on all of that because. Dubai is a very, very popular location for coaches to want to work in. It's very, very sought after. Uh, Dubai, Spain, USA and Australia tend to be some of the ones that people most likely want to go. So as someone that's been there for five years, yeah. um, that has a lot of coaching experience, let's dive on into it. Let's start off by going to your coaching journey. How did you get into coaching? Well, I'd say I'm fairly late to coaching, um, having, you know, in my early 30s now, but I've pretty much been playing and still continue to play um, to a fairly, fairly decent level. Um, most of it amateur, but um, I, I fell into coaching um, really through being in Dubai on holiday, um, visiting my partner's family. On, uh, it was her, her uncle's 50th birthday, came to Dubai on holiday, not knowing much about Dubai as a place, and certainly not knowing much about the, the football academy structure, and 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 really even interested in coaching. Um, I just just graduated from America. I was on scholarship, um, playing soccer at a university in America, and just graduated. Was moving back to the UK. Was was trialing with different places, um, and and really had plans to sort of try and step up the opportunity at 22, 23, 24 to, to play in the UK um, and, and look to step into some, in the professional game in some aspect of still playing. Um, but while I was here, I, I met the, the directors of the company I now work with um, as my partner's cousins were, were members of the academy, um, which is Elite Sports Academy. Um, and just through keeping in touch with them, touching base with them, um, th there was a job opportunity which came across and, and they said, I was ready to start the following, um, I think we were there in December, January, but I was ready to start in August that um, that there would be enough job opportunity for me, really without touching on qualifications or what what, what I had coaching-wise, because I, I was very, very inexperienced at that point, having always concentrated on playing rather than, uh, rather than the coaching side. What university were you at in the US? So I went to a Division II uh, college called American International uh, College. Um, there was sort of my group of friends all went out together. Um, so I'm from the Isle of Man originally. Um, now four or five of my close friends all played. Um, again, fairly fairly decent amateur level in, uh, in the Isle of Man, but also with, with trials back and forth to the UK. And um, we all got Division One, and Division Two scholarships going through First Point USA, who is our agency that we went through. And probably one of the most recognisable ones in the UK to get uh, student athletes out to America. So um, I went to Massachusetts to yeah AIC for a four year 
um, full, full scholarship, which was really the biggest attraction to get out there, um, knowing that it was it was covered for four years. Um, so I had D2 and, and really enjoyed that experience of playing out there, training every day uh, alongside the, the education and, and getting the degree. You feel that gave you a good base to start coaching a little later? Yeah, so part part of uh, one of my sports marketing and sports management courses was to get an internship. So I got an internship with my, my the assistant of my um, college team was also head coach and academy director for one of the local academies and, and professional sides. So I went and did some um, just as a sort of an assess, assistant coach and just to get some experience. Did my internship with the the uh, professional team is called the Western Western Mass Pioneers, which play in the USL which is the league below the MLS. Um, it's like a separate, there's no promotion and relegation into it, but there's a se it's a separate um, professional league in America. So they had their professional team and they had their youth youth academy set up. I just went in and just delivered sessions and, and really got, got stuck into sort of learning about all things youth football and sort of the coaching side, really. I, I, before that, I had not really been interested in coaching or or thought about it. It was always just playing and, and playing and playing and really not giving a thought to, to the coaching side of things. I'd like you to take a moment to have a think about how you might sell Dubai to someone else. Now, it, it was sold on us straight away. Wife and I have gone there and... Uh, the heat, the cleanliness, the organisation, the amount of entertainment. I mean, I live by the coast, I, I, five minute drive from the sea, and we have a five guys nearby as well. And yet there's something very, very different about going to the beach and getting a five guys in Dubai. And we we loved it. We've already looked at apartments and, and ways to move over there. It just really struck a chord with us immediately. But... I'd like you to tell us what did it for you and what do you think are some of the key selling points of Dubai to people that may consider it as a location to move to for coaching and for for life, really? Yeah, I think from the, the two-week holiday that I spent and then obviously then choosing that to be the place we would we would sort of move to and, and, and call home for the last five years, really, was the sort of the grandeur and the sort of the opportunities that, that lie here. Um, we we really taken back by you know whether it's the Burj Khalifa or it's just you know traveling around the marina or downtown and just seeing the sort of not necessarily the luxury of the place but also just the sort of the hospitality side and the friendliness the, the mix of cultures and the, and the diversity of Dubai really really does sort of uh, hit you when you get there um, and I think that's one thing that I've particularly enjoyed about working here and living here is is that mix of nationalities of religions of cultures and and how well everyone gets on and um, i don't think it's sort of is forced or it's false i think it's very sort of unique in that sense as a city that there really is a sense of community and, and pride about living in Dubai as an expat or whether it's you're from, you know, Sri Lanka or Pakistan or Bangladesh or you're, you're local or you, you're from the UAE. There seems to be a real good mix of, of that. And, and that for me is one of the biggest selling points and biggest pluses to, to being here is, is that, that mix of cultures and nationalities and how well everyone seems to get on. Definitely was very cosmopolitan and that was fantastic for many reasons because it's got great appeal so it 
seems like pretty much anyone from anywhere in the world would have felt like there was part of home there for them. But at the same time, although you might be proud of who you are and where you came from, most of the people there seemed like they had integrated really well with each other. So they were contributing to the UAE while also still retaining who they were and, and where they were from. And that is, it, it's quite hard to do, but it was very, very impressive how it worked then. And just the food, the amount of options. I mean, of course, yeah, I had cheeseburgers and ice cream every day, which I can do yeah. here. <laughs> but it, it just seemed like everyone would have found something not just the one thing, but kind of like uh, like Orlando in Florida or New York, just so much there to appeal to lots and lots of different people that anyone could have fun there. Yeah, no, it's it's a place that really accommodates every everyone's needs and wants and desires. Um, you know, just going from you can go to the mall in, in the mall of the Emirates, you can ski in, in the biggest indoor ski, real uh, snow ski slope to then five minutes drive beyond the beach to then 10 minutes away, you know, beyond the, on the biggest, um, the, the, the new Alain um, viewing wheel that's opening next, this next week. Um, the, the, the opportunities are endless really from, from what you can do and what you can achieve. And, and as you mentioned, the food, myself and my partner are big foodies to, to have the opportunities and the restaurants available to you um, make, make this the social side of Dubai um, very strong in that sense with the bars and the restaurants and um, and the, the beach the beach clubs and pool pool days available to you with the weather as well it, it really is it does make it, I can see why the attraction to come out here and, and not only coach but also live here with your family um, really really makes an attractive place I would go back simply for this Persian kebab that I had I haven't stopped talking about it since so I think that really surprised me was I, I know from being in, uh, in other parts of Asia and around the world how a lot of your favourite uh, restaurant chains, you can find them all over the place. But yeah. thinking from the point of view of British coaches, it was quite pleasing to see there were a few Nandos over there. So I know that people are worried about leaving home and going to a different country, being out of their comfort zone. Oh, don't worry, Dubai at least has Nandos. So on that, you have been there for five years and you had to originally adapt and you have also seen lots of people over the years adapt to uh, Dubai. What are some of the hardest things for people to get over? What are some of the misconceptions that were totally wrong? For instance, yep. we, from what you read online, it seemed like it was a lot more strict in regards to how women dress and our first day out, we asked the woman at reception in the hotel and she laughed at us and said, no, we don't do that here. Oh, OK, fair enough. Great. So what have you seen that takes some adapting to and what have been some misconceptions that are just not true? Yeah, um, I think the season with the season starting pretty much middle of the summer in August and September to, to start with, for anyone who is, is moving out, at the start of a new season or a new term, the weather is certainly the, the biggest the biggest factor. I think I mentioned it in the in the questions when we last spoke when you were here, is that you know the, the weather really is can be tough. You know, most sessions are outdoor the start of the season. We don't really move indoor until later on in, into the year when we get closer to the June, July. So getting used to the, the, the weather to start with would be one of the biggest factors. And um, plenty of misconceptions, as you mentioned, um, it's not 
it's becoming a lot more westernized and americanized in terms of that sense um you know it's a, when i said about being multicultural and multidiverse the dress sense dress code is is really uh, as you please you know that has its limitations in, in certain public areas but um it's become uh, you know a, a very hot spot for fashion and in that sense and and really you can wear what you want and, and do as you want to a certain extent no no different from any big city um london new york paris rome um you know it, it is multicultural and, and very diverse in that sense um but i think um another another especially for the 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 British co coaches and, and people looking to come here, you know, there's there's plenty to do in terms of socially, whether it's the pubs, whether it's the bars, whether it's the nightclubs. Um, there is a big social scene in that sense, which I think sometimes is is misconceived, and people think that you you know you can't maybe dr drink alcohol or you, it's it's not very accessible. Now it's going to cost you a little bit, but um, and more so than more more so than anywhere else in the world, it's going to cost more. But um, it, it's certainly accessible and 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 completely legal to to be drinking on the beach or at the pool where, where these private places and hotels have that available. I, I'm an, a non-drinker and I've never had drop alcohol in my life. So it, it's, it's weird. It may not attract you then. Well, it, it's, it's weird for me to consider that summer is amazing and as interesting as Dubai, you would still need alcohol to enhance the enjoyment of it because it, it's so, so much fun out there. But what have you seen that people have struggled with apart from the weather anything else or has it been relatively easy because we feel like we could move there tomorrow it felt that good yeah i think i think it's a it's quite tough working wise in terms of the workload and we touched on it a little bit just before coming on that there's a sort of a, there's a sort of misconception that people earn very well here which that people do and generally in each profession it, it they, people do earn well and it's a good it's a good um lifestyle and you can make a good living for yourself here but there are long working days and and the workload is is can be tough at times whether that's six day working weeks whether that's working weekends whether that's you've for coaches working long hours at youth tournaments on weekends working on your days off you know heavy loads is in terms of being in the office and admin hours to, in preparation for your sessions um it's not it's not just a case of coming out here to coach football and you spend a couple hours on the coaching pitch and then go home and you do the same the next day it's um there can be a heavy working load but it, i think if you're prepared to do that and, and prepared to to get stuck in then then you you are made and you'll last here there's there's been certainly a lot of good coaches that i've came into into contact with through my company and through others that, that maybe haven't had that mentality or had been prepared to to sort of or been in an environment beforehand um, to work as hard as maybe you need to do here. But um, if you're prepared to, then you know, you'll reap the rewards that, that lay, lie here um, because it can be very rewarding too. So we'll talk about your role in just a moment because I want to go into that, uh, particularly what the job entails so that people don't think it's just... Uh, a bit of a, a jolly because I do know that is the the idea a lot of people have uh, particularly if they're experience of working abroad is summer camps in the US where you get to act like a clown for a week and get paid um, yeah <laughs> but there's a, a lot more work than just that and anyone who has to run a team or an organization we fully aware of the unseen hours that 
go on largely behind the scenes where you have to put in a lot of unglamorous work and that the, the session itself is a fraction of what goes on and that's that's the fun bit but the, the work we have to do to get that right let's talk about we'll talk about our cultural differences in terms of football but cultural differences in terms of society i found dubai now i can't speak for the other emirates but i found dubai to be very progressive perhaps even more progressive than some countries in the west that we claim to be certain things and we we make uh we cast aspersions about some Middle Eastern countries which probably don't apply and are, I think currently, in the last few years certainly, you could make those same accusations about ourselves and we would not come out looking very good in, in a lot of that criteria. And the public transport, I think, was better than many, many places you would find in the West. So in what ways are we, are we different culturally socially to over there yeah i think i think dubai and one thing when, when i touched on the the sort of the benefits and what's great about dubai i think it's very clean um it's a very clean city um it makes sure it, it keeps that cleanliness very well um and i think it's very accessible like you mentioned with the pub public transport whether that's having um very well petrol's cheap for one here so driving here is very accessible taxis are very cheap as well but also the public transportation as you mentioned is is only getting better and better with the metro line um it runs pretty much from all the way from downtown at the top of the city all the way down to jebel ali um and towards abu dhabi um as well and that's only growing in in coming further out with the expo starting in the past week uh, expo 2020 that's kicked off this last week metro now is expanded towards out out towards there and out towards other regions of dubai that it hasn't before which makes the city again makes the city more and more accessible which i think is one one part of why it's so it's so great that you can really reach anywhere although it's a very cosmopolitan big city and it's got millions of people living in it you can pretty much get anywhere within the city in 15 20 minutes um and and traffic generally um, it is very fast moving and smooth. There's not really many journeys that take you past 20 minutes, 25 minutes. That's from top of the city down to the to the to the furthest point away. It, it makes um, life and travelling between sessions and um, that much bit easier. That just reminded me of the the road system is brilliant. So five lane highways. The the traffic. I think we were waiting once at a red light in the taxi and the guy apologised and said, there's a bit of traffic. So I said, hey, we've spent years in Mexico City. This is not traffic. And traffic yeah. is being stuck in the same spot for three hours without being able to come off. It's, it's the same in the other yeah, that direction. Doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't usually happen. Now, driving is a, is a different matter. Driving in, in Dubai is, is slightly more challenging. Again, that comes down probably to the, to the mix of cultures and... and um, the amount of different sort of ways people drive. You've got a lot of people from a lot of Indians where they're slightly more less less um, patient and a little bit more aggressive than particularly uh, drivers in the UK are very sort of polite and will give way to each other and will say thank you and um, that that doesn't really happen. So there's there's a mix of that cultures has its downside, which is generally I would say is on the roads where um, driving can be is pretty much uh, you know a 
a fight fight to be the fittest and fight to be first really because you're crossing lanes and it can be dangerous at times you know driving particularly when you're first we mentioned earlier about settling in driving on the roads can be tough tough to begin with while you settle and especially with coaches when you're going from two or three venues each day and you know you've got back-to-back sessions and you've got to be somewhere pretty quickly from an, from one session to another getting from that venue to another in a in a short period of time can be can be quite challenging up front and you know obviously with use of ways and different different uh google maps and stuff makes it easier but yeah driving would be one of the one of the tougher things to get used to i would say did see some less than courteous driving at times the the road system itself nonetheless was very impressive the amount of slip roads and overpasses that meant that you rarely had to stop on your journey when you're getting somewhere so it's very very well planned the city as a whole because it was new uh, it just looked like and I, they had learned from the mistakes of so many other cities over the years that yeah. it, it's going to be leading the way for generations to come it was impressive and i keep telling people here it's like disney world just without the mickey mouse branding where every part of the city has been designed specifically so that well it's got ease of access and it everything is pretty from all angles so that was one of the, uh, the key things at, at disney is that wherever you are is photogenic wherever you are turns out for a, a good picture so there's there's no bad side uh, when you're looking at the, the buildings and the architecture, there's no dark alleyways. Everything is pretty. So uh, that is impressive. But it's it just comes from just fantastic planning. Clearly, they've got a lot of very bright people involved who have built something that can last a long time. Yeah, it's very effective. It has and it has been planned very effectively. I think um, the the expo happening in the next six months it only sort of you know highlights that um and i think they've got plans in place for the next 50 years obviously it turns 50 in december so it's still very very young as a as a city and as a country um so and i, and I only think i can only see it growing and, and becoming um a world leader in a lot of aspects of how it you know with how it dealt with, with the covid um situation it, it really led um and sort of dealt with that head on and, and in a really productive way. Um, and, I, and I can only see that happening in, in, in other things really as it, as it moves forward. So let's now try and stick to football. And yep. let's start with your role. What do you do? Who do you work for? And what does your typical week look like? Yeah, so I work for Elite Sports Academy. Um, we are um, one of the, probably one of the biggest sports academies in, in Dubai. Now we are a sports academy. We don't just focus solely on football. Um, now football is our main main um, part of the academy, but we also have a swimming academy. We also do facility rentals and we also do a camps program in school holidays. Now there's uh, a camp week next week for half term. There's a winter camp. There is a February half term. There is a Easter two week break and there is a summer seven to eight week depending on the, the school holidays that we have our, our multi-sport and football camp uh, programs running so there's a lot of different facets to the, the academy but football is our is our passion and is our um our biggest side of the academy we have roughly up to our peak peak period in the year up to 1500 1600 players um playing with us weekly um, and and through the football academy we have our squads 
Um, again, split into advanced and development and different levels of squads within those age groups. Uh, and then we have our recreational academy program, which is anything from uh, ECA programs after schools or our community sessions at community venues uh, or schools as well on the weekends. Um, so, but yeah, very, very busy. Um, and and um, we, we, we've we've really reacted from the COVID situation very well to to start this year uh, in a in a very healthy position really. Um, my my role within the academy is the football technical manager, um, so I oversee everything from the delivery, the session planning, the curriculum. Um, assessments, player assessments, coach assessments, um, you know, the pathway we have of, of progression from players moving through the, through the age groups and through the development periods um, to league entries, to our partnership with West Ham, uh, who we have a partnership with the West Ham Foundation, um, to um, trips abroad. Um, so it, it covers a vast area of our football, um, our football squads. Uh, working alongside our academy manager and our um, business development and academy uh, program manager. So um, really enjoying it. Uh, like I said, I've been here five years with the company. Um, I moved here with for the role as just a head coach with the company and I've progressed through to a senior coordinator, to an area manager and now to the football technical manager. Um, and, and really enjoying it, really. Um, like I said, I hadn't had much coaching experience before. Um, coming out here, like I was, it was most from a playing background, but um, I've managed to, to still play to a fairly competitive level over here whilst whilst coaching, which we can touch on a little bit in terms of the 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 expansion of of expats being allowed to play in the professional leagues here is, is growing, which I've been able to do. Um, but yeah, really enjoying it and 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 uh, having a good time while we're here too. What kind of things are you getting up to on a day to day basis as part of the job? Yeah, so we, uh, as we touched on a little bit earlier as well, is it's 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 a busy a busy schedule, but but I also wouldn't have it any other way. I think um, we generally do nine hour days. Our schedule is is Sunday. Obviously, the working week here starts on a Sunday, and um, with the, the 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 fifth day, the end day of the week being a Thursday, and then the weekend being Friday and Saturday. Um, now I'm sure a lot of the, the coaches listening to this will know that coaches don't stop at Thursday, they carry on. A weekend is a busy period for coaches uh, and it's the same here, whether that's weekend sessions or it's league fixtures uh, or it's tournaments, uh, our weekends are very busy too. So we, we typically have a six-day working week with the, uh, a five-day week week from Sunday to Thursday taking the bulk of the hours and then uh, the, odd, the odd session or league fixtures on a Friday or a Saturday. Um, with generally the Friday Friday being a day off and you work Saturday or a Friday being a working day and you have a Saturday off. So um, it changes depending on the schedule. Uh, we have about 12, 12 full-time, currently 12 full-time coaches, including myself, working for the academy. Um, and then as well as swimming, swimming coaches um, and then our admin team of six or seven who support the, uh, the coordinators and the coaching team. Um, and then our accounts team who deal with the payments and, and that side of things. So... Um, yeah, really enjoy it, and, and I think the working weeks are busy. But um, as I said, dealing with a lot of admin and planning in the in the mornings, and then out to sessions from anywhere from one to three o'clock, um, and then like for example, my day started at ten forty-five today, and I finished uh, delivering back-to-back uh, -back sessions, three sessions today, from four forty-five till seven forty-five uh, this evening. So. Um, nice and busy, but again, I, I think if you're prepared to work hard and, and, and get stuck in, 
um, which I was fortunate to do when I first arrived here. I, I only arrived here on part-time hours. I'd, um, I'd, I'd sort of delayed it a little bit too long that my the full-time role I was originally offered was given to another coach. Um, I had the opportunity to go with Blackpool when they were in League One for a month on trial with the first team. So I had two one-month trials with them. So that delayed coming out here. So I lost the full-time role that I originally uh, had been offered. So then came out here part-time, had part-time hours, worked hard, um, and just got stuck into the role really as, as a then head coach. And then through through a few people moving around and, and hours becoming more permanent, my full-time role started only a month after. And I've been with the company full-time now for five years. When you were part-time, did you do anything to supplement your hours? No, and I didn't really have a chance to. I was part-time, but I was pretty much full-on uh, with the company's part-time, although I wasn't you know, confirmed to a visa which with, with becoming full-time, you obviously sign a two-year contract, which includes your, your working, your, your visa, health insurance, and other benefits, which come along with that. Um, but I was here, obviously, with, with on a, a tourist visa, which means you've got to do uh, border runs or you've got to leave the country and come back in, which at the time was was completely convenient and it was, was, was very easy to do. And I think, I believe still is. Um, but uh, part-time hours were pretty much quite busy, two or three, four sessions a day, um, before becoming a, a full-time employee and, and getting the, the, the two-year visa, the, the health insurance and other things that come with um, becoming a full-time employee here. I think of a few people listening, including myself, that will be familiar with those border runs. Now, what's the, the visa process like? Is it dependent upon an employer, are they like a sponsor, or can your visa allow you to work for whichever company you like? It's all based on your employer from, and again, that's talking pretty much from my experience firsthand and, and also with how we, how the business does it and, and from other friends and my partners companies, your, yeah, your, your employer sponsors, pretty much sponsors your visa and takes on the responsibility of that. Um, and, and that's, I think really why you, you sign your two year contract, which keeps you, you know, it, it stops, which can be, and has in the past happened where, you know, it can be difficult settling to a new country and settling to Dubai. So sometimes there are cases where people come for one or two months and, and struggle and it's not for them. And then they'll be, and then they're off back to the UK and, and then leaves the company with a, a bill of, of a visa bill. And, you know, they've, they've paid X amount of dirhams for this person's visa for them to then not last past two months and still have to, you know, make the payment that's the, the reason for the two-year contract is to give it, I think, a little bit of security to the employer, but also as well know that the employee is there for two years and, and is and is going to be working with the company and, and committed to the company for that for that period. Very similar to the US, uh, it changes from from country to country. But it's always interesting to know. So, for instance, in the US, you are tied to your employer; you can't work for anyone other than them. And as soon as they cancel your employment, you have to leave the country. Whereas in Canada, if you were younger than 30, you could get a year-long work visa and work wherever you wanted. And I think Australia does uh, does something similar, those year-long work visas. So really very important to know what we're up against. Uh, what does the visa entail? You mentioned health insurance. Does that come from the company? Yes. Yeah, so that's part of the, the, the benefits and such as what you receive is from signing your, your, your contract and two-year visa. You obviously have a two-year visa, which keeps you in, the, in, you know, you get that put in your passport. And obviously that includes then health insurance uh, that the employer is legally 
um, binded to give to their their employees. So that that could cover from you know it has a scale. There's a scale of insurances that I imagine employer employers can offer. Some will offer the bare minimum. Some will go out and give really good insurance. Um, so it, it depends on each company in terms of what they provide. But obviously, it provides if it's if it's a basic of just health insurance, medical covers, or if it's uh, MRIs, if it's you know if it's surgery for different stuff, if it's just a basic you know a consultation with a with a doctor, um, there will be there will be a, sort of a, a scale of what packages includes and, and insurance it covers you for certain hospitals. So you, you'll also need to check upon getting that where you're insured to go a lot of times i've known some some horror stories i've known some good stories where people have gone to the wrong place and they've not been insured and they've been left with x amount of of, a, of thousands on a bill um, so it is important you check where you where you're going are you insured to go there what are you insured for um you know there's, there's been cases of people having serious injuries from playing football and they're getting you know getting uh, ambulance to a hospital and getting there and realizing they're not insured for that place and needing to go then from that place to another hospital because that's where they're insured. So um, it can be a little bit tricky. It's not as, as plain sailing as it is in the UK of, you know, the health health system in there. So it's important, you know, where you're insured for, you know how to check for the insurance of where you are insured for, how much you're insured for, what you're covered for before, um, before hopefully touch one, not, not having to really use it, but it also has a little bit of security that you are covered for certain, certain treatments and certain stuff. I've heard a few of those stories and been through a few myself. So the, what are the, the football cultural differences? So when I was there, you mentioned that for many of the kids, it's not the be all and end all like it might be in some football crazy countries. Now, I can't imagine growing up and not having football as my number one priority. I actually can't imagine that as an adult either. But yeah. I, I have seen it from some kids in other parts of the world where you ask them if they saw the game, they say who played, and you mentioned two famous teams. They go, who are they? Yeah. How, how dare you? So what's the attitude for, or the appetite for football like in Dubai? And what's the differences between kids there and kids back here at home? Yeah, I think I think I completely relate to what you just mentioned there about the children not knowing. You know, your Messi, Ronaldo, your Pogba's, most will know them. But in terms of games, now some sometimes the games are that late here, and, and we're obviously with the time difference, we're not getting games until with, with the clocks are changing soon. We'll be four hours behind the UK, so your Champions League games will be coming sort of way past midnight. So it, it can be difficult to keep in touch, as even as an adult, to to keep in touch and and stay up to date with scores and who's playing and when they're playing. But um, the interest level I find sometimes is is a little bit underwhelming should I say from from our players in terms of are they going home are they watching are they are they yes playing video games has a negative but I also think it has it can have such a positive from from kids picking up stuff on FIFA whether it's from how to play from from players names from teams from formations from from picking up skills um you know that doesn't necessarily happen here because of the lifestyle where a children's schedule. I was just listening to a local radio station yesterday where they were debating is a child's schedule too full on in Dubai? Because a lot of schedules for children, whether it's once they're finishing school from finishing school at three o'clock till eight o'clock, nine o'clock, their whole schedule, whole evening, afternoon is booked in, whether that's going to gymnastics, swimming, tennis, rugby, football, 
basketball, whether it's their, their tutoring, whether it's their language learning, um, there really is a, a, an endless supply of activities and, and um, activities that they can do here that makes it very challenging as for us as a football coach and myself, like you said, my only passion really, apart from when I was younger, other sports is, is has been and always will be football. So then trying to re relay that to our players at times can be very difficult when they, you know, like you say, did you, who's the manager of Liverpool? And, and they won't even have a clue who, who Jurgen Klopp is or who Pep Guardiola is, who Jose Mourinho is. Where do Man United play? They won't know the stadiums. They won't know. They know three or four players. We we had it when we went to you. We went we went on our most recent trip to the UK to Manchester. And our players are going into um, Old Trafford on a stadium tour, buying a Man United top. We then go the next day to the Etihad, and they're wearing a Man United top. And then they go and buy a Manchester City jumper and put it over nice. that Man United. Top. Oh, so you know, you, you, and that's the stuff with the. And I don't know. If it, I don't know. If it's just here. I think that is starting to happen in other countries where the the there's not especially the non-league and lower league clubs they're struggling to get support and and from especially from a you know the younger generation because access to games is so much now on TV and from the video games that and YouTube clips is that they all they want to do is they see it is winning they see a two minute highlight video where it's pretty much just goals it's not. They don't see players giving the ball away. They don't see players having to work back and, and they don't see that side of the game. It's all, which is great, of, of the goals, the highlights, the tricks, the skills. Um, but there's also a different side, which I don't necessarily know if children are having that contact time and, and understanding, uh, which especially why we, we, we struggle with that at times. Boring 99% of the game you play without the ball at your feet, where... Having watched highlights, I mean, you just stand here and someone gives you the ball and you score, right? That's kind of how it works. Yeah, exactly. Similar in, in the US, you get kids turn up with a Barcelona shirt and Real Madrid shorts. And in, in Q8, the kids would regularly tell you who their favourite team was and they'd list five and three of them would play in the same league. Yeah. Uh, like Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. Yeah. No, no, no we, have, we, absolutely, we absolutely have the same thing here. Um, and again, I, th I think it's that um, coming back to you mentioned cultural differences, especially um, from I can't really touch on what the UK coaching the UK is as I've not done it. But from when I was obviously growing up, there was a real desire just to, to, to win and a desire to just you just played football every single minute of the day, whether it's in school and scuffing your school shoes at lunch, whether you're playing Wembley or you're playing you know, Wembley doubles or whether it's going at home and just going out in the street and playing Kirby or playing playing games in the park. There isn't that there isn't that culture here, um, and I think that's whether that's families having the time where they they'd rather spend their weekends going to to luxury hotels and spending time at the beach pools and and pool days or or traveling is very much accessible here. We're just competing with a lot of external factors, which makes football less of an influence here. Um, and I know I don't necessarily I think it's it's the children's fault. I think if if there yeah. was that culture here, that they would. Um, certainly, from our advanced squads and our squad players, that would be here, that would be their 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 chosen. You know, they would love to play football every day, I'm sure. Um, and I just don't think the accessibility is there to allow that. And I also don't think, you know, it's very competitive and it's a business here. That I think having your volunteer sessions and your your you know you don't really have to pay much to play football in the UK. If you went to any park, there would be a group of kids or there would be a group of adults or there would be a group of people 
who would be playing football in some aspect, whether that's just by keeping the ball up, by doing two-touch or by playing Wembley or by playing a, an organised small game. That that doesn't happen here. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily the players and the children's fault. I think it's just the lifestyle and the culture here that, that doesn't allow that. And, and also the weather sometimes too. Yeah, I think we're seeing this in a lot of different cultures now where people are more concerned with reputation rather than character. So I want to be associated with a winning team because I view myself as a winner. I want other people to see me as a winner. I might not put the work in, but I definitely want that reputation. And one of the most offensive questions that I get frequently from, from kids around the world is, who's your favourite team, coach? Blackburn Rovers. Oh, who's your favourite Premier League team? And yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not an advocate for hitting children, but I definitely consider it when I hear that kind of question. What's the football landscape like within the UAE, going from yeah. professional to grassroots? Yeah, no, no it, it, so one of the biggest things that has changed in my five years here is is the 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 sort of collaboration or the 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 pathway from now the UAE professional clubs and the grassroots private and professional academies is starting to get much closer and than ever it has been before. And um, when I first moved out here, there was, there was just no relationship between um, a company like elite who I'm working for to an Al Wassel or an Alain or an Al Nasser, who is a professional club and academy here. They were two different worlds five years ago. Now they are starting to search, starting slowly to work together and to become more streamlined in, in the sense that there's now fi regular fixtures with these, these academies where they're open to allow private academies to come into their facilities and to, to play against their, their um, programs. Now also the programs are now allowing expat uh, youngsters and F expat families to now play for their programs inside. Now that never used to be a thing. It used to be predominantly only available for local or Arabic players. Uh, mostly because obviously with the language of having Arabic and local um, Emirati coaches, uh, it would be very difficult for, for an, a Western or an expat uh, football to go into that and, and sort of, you know, fit in well. So I think that's changed dramatically over the last five years of, of allowing um, and, and competing against and with each other instead of sort of being seen as separate entities. There's not, there has been a, a slow uh, transition into working together and, and starting to allow um, the talented expat footballers into the professional side of things, into the professional game in, in their teams. And I think that's also helped in, in sense of the, uh, it's helped in the senior football. Now, myself, from my experience, I played the last two years in the UAE division, in the UAE professional leagues. Now there's three leagues in the UAE professionally where it's the uh, the pro league, which has your Al Wassels, your Al Nains, Al Nassas, where you have the likes of Johan Kavai, Alvaro Negredo, and those players playing within their, their league structure where you have a division one and you have a division two. Now last, the last two years, um, an, an expat academy side um, set up a first team where they went out and pretty much sourced out the the best amateur league football players um, who play in the in the Dubai Amateur Football League to play and represent them in the UAE Division 2. Now they won, they won, we won the Division 2 last season and got promoted into Division 1, which has never happened before. And that's that's gone from having 16 British British players in the squad 
to then having to de deal with a lot of restrictions and rules um, where this year they're only allowed two foreigners and two residents in their squad. The other 14 players have to be local. So now that's meant the whole structure of their programme and, and their team has had to be completely um, different in the sense of it's gone from 16 pretty much British players to now only having two in their match day squad. Um, and, and now all those players have now filtered back into the Amateur Football League. Um, but they're, they are slowly starting to, to have different rule changes and, and allow expat footballers to be playing in the in the local professional leagues, which, which has never really happened before until a couple of years ago. What's the guidance and the, the input like from the FA in the Emirates? Is there is, is there much structure? Is there much? Uh, I think like years ago here, the FA came up with a future game, revamped the coaching licenses, yeah. and have really tried to turn things around and come up with lots of initiatives. What's it like over there? It's getting better. Um, now the UAFA are the overall governing body as a private as a private academy we mostly deal with the dubai sports council they would be the the governing body that we mostly um relate to and deal with in terms of our league structures our sessions you know they were they were very hot in terms of uh, the covid protocols when we recommend sessions making sure that all the information and all the all the practices were put in place were, were followed to not really the uafa now, the UAFA have academy leagues where certain academies can go and compete. Now, in that sense, then we would have more, more contact time with them. But it's really the, the Dubai Sports Council as a, as a business and private, private academy. That's who we're governed by in terms of making sure that the, the visas are correct, that the, you know, all the, the sort of the, the legal stuff that we need to do is, is mostly followed up by them rather than the UAFA. Um, but I do think there are big steps and, and certain roles um, having been created in the last few years where they're really trying to, to increase participation and, and increase the sort of the collaborative work between the local the local side of, of, of the game and the expat side of the game because there's a lot of experience and well-qualified expat coaches and, and, and academy directors coming into the, into the, into the UAE who, who can certainly help push the game on and I think that's that's happening at certainly at the the, first, the national team the UE national team level where they're really trying to push um, push that and, and increase their sort of reputation and, and be more competitive at the national team level and that should hopefully have a, a filtering system down to the system down to the grassroots level and, and down to our sort of private and professional academy structure. Over the years I've seen lots of talent from a coaching perspective going over there I did not know that uh, Alvan Rogodo and Yoran Kabaye were over there playing. But I've yeah, definitely seen lots of very talented coaches making their way to some high up positions. And I think that's obviously going to help having a lot of the very, very knowledgeable and experienced people there. I really wanted to go because I think it was on a Thursday or Friday night to see the qualifier between UAE and Lebanon because it was only about 15 minutes from the high tower, but just couldn't get a ticket, unfortunately, because that kind of game. It's right up my street. World Cup qualifier <laughs> between. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been to the the Asian Cup was hosted here in 2019, so we got to see a lot of the Asian Cup games. We we take we took about 30 or 40 of our players to, um, I think it was an Australia game. I can't. I think it was Australia v Jordan potentially. Um, but again, you even touched on the the local the local professional league. I don't think it's as well supported and followed as it should be. Um, there are some good there are some good 
good teams and good players playing in the leagues. Not only the two you mentioned earlier, there's there's other, you know, former Premier League and, and La Liga players who sort of, yes, they may not be at the peak of their peak of their playing powers, but certainly are, are making the games and level fairly competitive. But uh, in terms of mass mass spectators, the, the the games will not be spectated as highly as, and that I think is that that comes back down to the, the following that the Premier League and and the other major European leagues have, is that there's there's be far more attraction to, to watching those games and staying in and watching them on TV rather than travelling to a to a local local professional uh, game on a on a Thursday evening or a Friday evening. What do you think they can do to kind of drum up interest in that? Because I experienced the exact same thing QA. So qualifiers for the Asian Cup between you know, Kuwait and Thailand and Kuwait and Lebanon. And they qualified. And the stadium went crazy. There's only a few thousand people there. And the rest of the... Yeah. You know, so I was talking to the kids, and they were saying, we're not interested, we don't care. And so, well, why? Well, one of the things they told me is because it only costs about £5 to get in. Whereas when Bayern Munich were there a few years before, they were selling tickets for about 200 quid, and all the kids wanted to go. And I, I get yeah. that, obviously, seeing... Bayern Munich is way more attractive than Lebanon or Thailand. But I also do wonder if there's a prestige thing about it. Like, are they disgusted by their own country? Are they disgusted because they're not world champions? Yeah. How do you I get think it comes back? It? it comes back to that winning now and having to win or having to be seen to win or having to be part of of winning and being seen to sort of where whether you're whether you're in, you know, whether you're you know, following the UAE or if you're from the UAE, I think I do think that plays a big part, and I, I certainly find that at the at the academy level, that the players are often jumping. You know, we we've got four or five players who jump between six or seven different academies every year to follow where they think they can win or where they perceive to be winning, rather rather than rather than staying with what potentially would be a better. A better development for their for their own individual ability and a better environment for them to train in, but they they're happy to jump to a, a, a another program where they think, well, I may not play, I may just I just sit on the bench, but as long as I'm winning, or as long as I'm perceived to be in a stronger team, then that will that will suit me. And um, where I think I think that and I think that goes across. I don't necessarily think that's a Dubai thing. I think that just in general, there's a there's a. a, a a transition from from the hard work and and work hard mentality to win now and and not really work hard for it um, across the board in in children. I think um, I don't think it's just in Dubai where we're becoming a bit soft. I think children in general are becoming a bit soft and a bit a bit then not dealing with defeat or or losing or or sort of circumstances that may put them out of their comfort zone very very well. And I think that that happens here a lot. Try not to look at the past who rose tender classes. I, I don't want to be that biased person. So back in my day, but I am I am seeing that the, these trends are quite common across many different cultures, where kids are struggling to deal with setbacks. They're struggling to deal with. Uh, any kind of negativity in ways that maybe, again, I was too young to see it, but I just don't think that it was happening like that when I was a kid. I'm sure everyone says that about the generation that went, yeah. that come after them. I absolutely, I absolutely, I think it did happen. I just think you were sort of told it, it happens and you either learn from it 
you 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 roll your sleeves up you you get back to training and you work hard and and hopefully next time you learn from from the setbacks and you you're stronger in that next circumstance or you you react differently and you've got experience to 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 build from to make sure those setbacks become less frequent and and hopefully you you learn from them and, and become whether it's is if that's in a sport if that's in business if that's in life you know setbacks are going to happen you know whether that's getting from 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 a young age whether that's getting not from the exam results you want whether that's not being in the social circle that you want or that setbacks from girlfriends there's going to be many different things and i just think dubai particularly has a very and we talk about the dubai bubble it has a very soft uh, environment for the children where they're getting dropped off by drivers and nannies and you know a lot of a lot i've got players who are 12 and 13 don't even know how to tie their own shoelaces because oh. they've never had to they've never had to tie their own shoelace um and and, and i think Part of the lifestyle here leads can lead to that, and I think uh, sometimes as coaches, we yeah we we, we can try and, and instill a little bit of grit and, and hard work sometimes, um, but again, that could be the only hour or two hours a week where that happens. So we we've got to be careful that we've got to understand that, that the lifestyle these children have a privileged life here, um, and although they we have two or three hours contact time with them a week, um, we're also sometimes got to understand that you know the lifestyle these 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 guys live is 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 a different lifestyle than many live uh, around the world. Kids definitely cried when I was young, and I was one of them. I'm sure I must have had tantrums like every other child, but I remember the vast majority of people would say, come on, mate, get over it. Whereas now I think uh, you get an entire intervention where the adult's job is now on the line, when it's just, uh, the, the kids used to be upset, just let's show them how to deal with their emotions a bit better. Anyway. I need to get yeah. off for a session. It's been brilliant talking to you and, and catching up. I'm sure that you make loads of people jealous. I'm sure you've got plenty of friends back home who hate looking at your social media. That's why coaching is buying I'm sure you get a lot of that. And there will probably be some of that from, from this. So thank you for coming on and giving us your time once again. No problem at all. After what you've done for me before. So I really, really appreciate that. Let's just finish on something positive then. If you yep. can try and give us one last message of why someone should come over to Dubai to coach football. I think the overall experience, the the, the experience of the facilities you'll get to work in, the people you'll meet, uh, the cultures you get to mix with uh, every single day lead it to being a, a very a very transient and fast-paced and, and interesting place to live. Uh, and, and I'm certainly thankful for making the step into moving here five years ago. Um, and I've, I've certainly learned and grown both professionally and sort of um, in, in other ways that, that I probably may not have had the opportunities to do um, if it wasn't for Dubai. Um, and I'll always be thankful for that. I think it's a, it's a fantastic place to live and, and a fantastic place to sort of to be based from uh, and get many positive opportunities and experiences from. Thank you very much for your time. I look forward to seeing you soon and keeping in touch on social media. I love following people's journeys and seeing what they're up to. So you've been generous with your time and your insight and really, really appreciate that. So have a wonderful no rest of your evening and best of luck. We'll keep in contact. Same to you. Enjoy your sessions tonight. Huge thanks to Con for coming on. If he likes the opportunities to coach all around the world, Make sure you have an up-to-date subscription. For those of you who are members of Sports Session Planet, let us know so we can get you into the BSEM Club for session sharing. Have a look at a couple of roles going on with our friends at Carlton Andrew. 
As always, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest, put us in contact. See you again soon.